Good morning. My name is Landon. I'm the senior lead pastor of Mercy Culture. The vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And here's what that means is our goal is not for you to have a great church service. Our goal is for you to get in the presence of God every day because when you get in the presence of God, it is so easy to hear God. When you begin to hear God and obey God, everything in your life begins to change. So at Mercy Culture, we are passionate about God encounters. We want to help you connect with God on a daily basis. So we do this through our membership. Now we call it membership, but it's really discipleship. And here's what it is. You text connect to the number that comes on the screen, or you can go to mercyculture.com and uh, you watch a few short videos just about our church, our culture, uh, uh, our doctrine. And then you take this amazing connect with God assessment. And here's what it is. It will show you how you best connect with God. Because we've done this disservice in the body of Christ where we've tried to make everyone connect with God the way the senior pastor connects with God. And here's the thing is we all connect with God differently. So when you begin to learn how you best connect with God, it is a game changer for your spiritual growth. People come to Mercy Culture for two reasons. One's to connect with God. Two's to spiritually grow. And this is how you spiritually grow in learning how to daily encounter. And so if you haven't taken that next step, it's a new year, new season, it's a great time, or maybe you started the process and you haven't finished it, I'd encourage you, finish the process, go through Connect, you will spiritually grow. Amen? Amen. Who's hungry? I didn't mean for the word. Who's physically hungry because you're fasting? How many is just numb now? You're not hungry. You're just numb. We got about 10 days to go. Or so I, I've, I've lost track. 12? It's 12? Okay. I like 10 better. It sounded good. Uh, but but uh, if you are not on the fast with us and you're a part of the church, if you're just a visitor, then hey, we're glad you're here. If you're a member of this church, get out of rebellion, get in, in obedience, get in unity, partner with us for the last 12 days, and uh, let's believe God for miracles this year. Amen? How many ready for the word? If you want my notes, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen. What is in front of me will be sent to you. I got a lot of notes, a lot of scripture for you this morning. Let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, verse 1. It says this, now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. They'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. Verse 3. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. Their wives and their sons had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices. Look at this. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. Jump down to verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Look at this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I came to tell you this morning that daily encounters are how you strengthen and fortify your faith. Title of this message is Dunamis Part 2, Strengthen and Fortify. Let's pray. So, Lord, we declare that your word is true. Let every man be a liar. Lord, we declare your word's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, I ask you right now, would you breathe upon your Logos written word? I pray it would become rhema today. 
Lord, we declare right now, let your word become alive. I pray right now you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Lord, we declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. Like we sang all morning, we say, come Holy Spirit, come have your way. Lord, I pray right now, we declare we don't make room for you in this tent, but we give you the entire tent. Father, I thank you. No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. So this morning, we are talking about strengthening and fortify. The Lord spoke to us and said that 2023 was going to be a year of dunamis. So I was walking around the Fort Worth campus. I looked up at the building and he said, I'm bringing dunamis to your house. We know that dunamis is the power of God. We're declaring this, that this is a year that God was going to bring dunamis power to your life. It was a year of strengthening and fortifying. I taught on, when you watch the video of uh, Dunamis part one, that we experience this dunamis when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, goes from resting on you to in you, like the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. Now, the secondary portion of that, now, when you read the Bible in Hebrew and, and in Greek, there's a, a, a great variety of meetings, even though it's saying the same thing, but it's speaking to different parts, almost like a shotgun has multiple uh, uh, pellets that it can hit its target. So does the word of God. It, it, it becomes alive. One rabbi said, reading the Bible in English is like kissing a woman through a veil or seeing a, a color in black and white. So the Hebrew and Greek gives it such great great meaning. So the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, de uh, defines one aspect of dunamis as strengthening and fortifying. You saw that definition in part one of dunamis. If you haven't heard that message, I'd encourage everyone in our community to go listen to that podcast or that sermon. But this morning, I want to bring attention to that secondary meaning of strengthening and fortifying. Because we're actually going to be stewarding this entire year on the concept of strengthening and fortifying this house. So this morning, I want to come as a, as a pastor. I want to come as a shepherd. I really want to come as a spiritual father. And I want to teach on spiritual growth. Now, in order for you to spiritually grow, three things have to happen. If you're not aware of these things and you're not intentional about these things, you will not spiritually grow. I see this every year in our church. There's a group of people that massively spiritually grow. You could barely recognize them in, in, in a few months. And then there's some people that come and attend and they're out of the services, but they bought from year to year, thing to thing, and they live the same and they don't spiritually grow. And the difference is, is how someone stewards their lives. So in order for you to spiritually grow, a few things need to happen. First of all, we encounter God. Then we learn about him through his word in those encounters, and then we practically walk out. So when you come to Mercy Culture, you're going to encounter God. It's the highest priority of our church services. We built a church not around a preacher, not around a personality, not about a ministry, but we build it around the presence of God. You will encounter God. How many felt the tangible presence of God in the room as we worshiped? And if you couldn't feel it, just start watching the kids, and they'll come to you. So, so we'll encounter God. But then really two things need to happen after that is that you need to be taught the word of God. So teaching the word of God is your pastor's job. So when it comes from the pulpit of this ministry, it's our job to teach you what the Bible says, not what men want to hear, not what itching ears desire to hear, but the truth of God's word. 
And I assure you that we will do our job from the pulpit this year. We spend months asking the Lord what he wants us to teach every year. These are not random messages. In fact, we have the entire year mapped out. And guess what? That doesn't take away the spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit or what he wants to say and do in the moment. But what it does is it allows us to prepare and steward to feed you gourmet meals from the pulpit. I could, <laughs> I'm thinking about pastors that develop sermons on Saturday. I'm trying to, trying to say, how do, how do you do this nicely? There's no what, nice way to say it. Most churches are filled with microwave meals on Saturday night. And they pull it from the freezer of five years ago. Oh, this one worked. Throw it in the microwave and, 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 and feed that to their congregation. You don't have that at Mercy Culture Church. I love when people are like, I just need the real meat. My pastor's not feeding me the meat. My response is grown-ups feed themselves. But you will get the meat at Mercy Culture, I promise you. Here's a few things that we're going to cover this year. We're focusing on the foundations of our faith. There's a graphic that will go up to show you this. We're going to teach on knowing Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Bible in God's Word. We're going to talk about the Christian life, understanding our faith, covering topics such as salvation, heaven, hell, righteousness, truth, the lies of the enemy, false religions, peace, joy. We're going to do a series on eschatology, the last days, the rapture, and the coming of Jesus. Uh, we're going to have an emphasis on prayer in a periodical series that we're going to be teaching on spiritual warfare this year. I promise you, we are going to do our job. But in order for there to be the spiritual growth you desire, it's not enough for us to do our job. You have to do your job. And your job is to steward the word. If you do not practically walk it out, you will not grow. So I don't want there to be confusion at the end of the year, like, man, I didn't get out of this year what I wanted to get out of this year, and I, and, and I thought God was going to do more. No, God did plenty. You did do more. It's kind of like the people that stand in the back, and they're like, God's not going to move. Not on you, he's not. You already made a determination in your rebellion, partnered with some other spirit that wasn't the Holy Spirit, didn't sing with us no spirit but the Holy Spirit, and walk out the exact same way. You are responsible. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's on you. It's on you to spiritually grow. Imagine walking in the gym with your little milkshake, walking around, looking at every, mach every machine, and then leaving and be like, I don't know why. I'm not getting stronger. I don't know why. I'm not getting weight. Because you walked in church but never participated. So there's a responsibility on you. So, so let, me, let me coach you. Let me teach you. Let me father you with this. We call it practical advice, but the spiritual word is stewardship. How are you stewarding your spiritual growth this year? So at Mercy Culture, we have a value of communication because healthy places, healthy relationships, healthy churches communicate well. So we say we give each other feedback. What feedback looks like is we're constantly evaluating how we've done on stuff so that we can get better on stuff. An example, the sound guy, give me your name again. What? Greg. So Greg caught me in between services when I was walking out. He said, can I give you feedback? I was like, yeah, you can, Greg. Let's go. What do you got? He said, when you walk in front of that monitor and you pull your microphone away, it's going to cause feedback. And, and, and you did it a few times in the first service. So if you're aware of that, you won't have feedback. So now I'm, un, I, I'm aware as I'm walking, when I get to these stairs, I'm turning around because nobody wants to be in a church service 
where it feeds backs and rings and someone's going to look at the podcast and blow out an eardrum because it rang on them. Like, how dare he tell the pastor how to hold his mic? <laughs> or it could actually sound good if I listen to the guy who's responsible for sound. You're clapping, but when your pastor gives you feedback, you're like, oh, I'm just leaving this church, and I'm going to go to an online church, and, I, and who are you to tell me? So feedback helps you grow. So I give myself feedback every year, and I noticed something in 2021. It was the year of the supernatural. This was before we launched Mercy Culture Waco, and we got to the end of the year, and every year, Heather and I go on a marriage retreat, and we evaluate every part of our relationship. And we're, we're, we're evaluating this, and, and I said to her, and I, I told this to the elders of Mercy Culture, I said, I don't feel like I stewarded the word of the Lord of supernatural as well for my family as I did the church. I feel like I did a good job leading the church, and I don't think I did the best job leading my family because the supernatural was more focused for the church than it was my family. So my feedback to myself is as we got in 2022 in the year of expanding territory, one of my goals of the year was to be the, a better leader of my family with the word of the Lord of the year than the church. Heather and I went away on our marriage retreat this fall, and one of the celebration moments was we led our family better in expanding territory for our family than we did the church. So watch, the feedback allowed us to get better at what we're stewarding and leading in our lives. So this is very important. Some of you heard the prophetic word on Dunamis part one or watched the video, and you heard those prophetic words, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. And is about as significant as an elevator music song for you, where you heard it for a second and then left, and it had no impact on your life. I assure you, you won't grow. That's the person that doesn't spiritually grow. That's the person that wanders from tent to tent. Like, I thought this was a COVID tent. I didn't even realize it was a church tent. Okay, me too. I was like, we got to get more banners up. Signs, signs, give us signs. Okay, it's okay. We're going to the building soon. But that's the kind of individual that will not grow. Don't be surprised that you haven't had breakthrough and you haven't grown if you don't steward the word well. So I'm gonna share a few practical things on how you steward the word of the Lord well, okay? Listen to it over and over. How many times did you listen to that prophetic word after it happened on church on Sunday? Some of you haven't heard it at all yet. Those are the, those are the words from God that came into this house. Those are the words for our church, our lives, our community. How are you stewarding them? So for example, our leadership team spent months seeking God before we released those prophetic words. But then after we released it from the pulpits, I went back and listened to it on live stream because you can go and find the exact spot. I've listened to it probably about 15 to 20 times since I preached it. See, the first time I delivered it, I delivered it as a minister. The next time I went and listened to it, I listened to it as a member of this church because I have to steward it just like you. So here's what you do. Watch, you listen to it then the ones you feel like God is speaking like, yes and amen, these are for me personally. Ask yourself, how can I practically steward this this year? I'm gonna give you a few examples. So there was quite a few prophetic words. I don't remember how many, about 20 or so that were released. So let me give you some example. One of the prophetic words was 
the word of God will strengthen you. Reading the Bible will strengthen you. So some practical strategy. Start reading the Bible and commit to a reading plan. Commit to a reading plan. Every day, don't miss. Do you know on version? there's multiple Mercy Culture reading plans that our pastors are doing? There's a 15-minute plan, a 30-minute plan. There's devotionals, awesome stuff that will, will help you read the Bible. It doesn't matter what plan you do. There's no special plan. There's a special word of God. Get in it and read it every day. Another one, you'll be strengthened by memorizing the Bible. What's your plan to memorize scripture? I promise you it won't be the end of the year and you'll have 100 scriptures memorized. But what if you did one a week? What if you did two a week? How much scripture would you have in you then? So I'm asking you, not just, so if you want the word of God to strengthen you, it's gonna come by you reading and memorizing it. How are you doing this? How about this one? It's a year of commitment to prayer. So let me ask you this. What time, thank you, sir. What time is your daily encounter? If you don't know what time your daily encounter is, I know what time it is. It's Sundays at 11.30. And that's not a daily encounter. That's a corporate encounter. You're piggybacking off our worship. No, no, no. You come into Lauren's intimacy with the Lord. And you're like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is great. This is so easy. Yeah, because we're in the presence. But it'll also be easy when you do this by yourself. So when is your time? If you don't know your time, you won't do it. Set an appointment with the Lord. Okay, um, one of the prophetic words, year of prayer, when's, uh, this Wednesday, 6.30 a.m., there's your time. But that's just on Wednesday. Meet us here for corporate prayer at 6.30. That's when we're coming together to pray. Have times. Okay, another prophetic word was a year to serve. Where are you serving? How are you serving this house? This is a church plan. We're nine months old. Who do you bring to church? Who do you tell about Mercy Culture to? Do you share posts? Do you tell people what God's doing here? We're about to get into a building. That's a $6 million building project over there that this community didn't even have to pay for. You know how rare that is? I'm going to father this whole house. This community is not even paying for this community yet. Like, I don't know if I should clap or not. I don't know. I'm not... I'm not tithing yet, so I'm feeling a little weird right now. You think $6 million buildings just pop up? No, there's a group of people that heard God in Fort Worth that planted with a group of people that heard God in Waco to build a house for him. Watch. In six months or so, we're going to be in a brand new facility that the city's going to want to go to. Nobody wants to come to a tent. Nobody. You should have been here at the 9 o'clock service. 11.30 people are smart. There was a river of life running through this place. Only radicals come to church in a tent. But guess what? The city's going to come to that building, and it's going to need people that are serving and carrying it. How about when thousands of people come through our parking lot to get food? Are you serving this house? Because the word was, if you build this house, God's going to do supernatural things for your house. Finally, I'll do one more. We're talking about stewarding. How, how, do, you, how do you intentionally steward? Is there was a word that relationships would be strengthened and fortified. As I was praying, I felt like 
this community needs to make a list of five people to be intentional about strengthening relationships. If you're not intentionally strengthening relationships, they're not being strengthened. And then put your spouse on the top of the list. Because that's the most important relationship to strengthen. So I give you about five examples right here. Do this with the prophetic words over this house. And I promise you, you will spiritually grow. Amen? Amen. Who's ready to strengthen their faith this morning? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. This is a familiar portion of scripture. This is Jesus concluding the most famous teaching known to man, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing many of the building blocks or main fundamentals of our faith. He's taught, he teaches the Beatitudes, which is the constitution of the kingdom. He's teaching about prayer. He's teaching about forgiveness. He's teaching about just uh, judgment. He's teaching how you follow him. What does successful Christianity, what does is, what is true submission to the Lord look like? This is the sermon. Then he gets to the end of this sermon and he's concluding the most important teaching that we have in history of Jesus. And here's what he's saying. Verse 24 of Matthew 7, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Someone say rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. He builds his house on the sand. Someone say sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house. It fell and great was its fall. So Jesus is concluding the most famous sermon ever given, these, these, these group of teachings, and then he ends it with this, this analogy. He says, this is really important. He says, if you do this and you do not obey it, then you're going to be like someone that builds their house on the sand. You're going to be foolish. But if you do this and obey this, you're going to be like the wise man that builds his house on the rock. Now, Jesus is not unintentionally using words. He's using specific intentional analogies for people. Now, he's talking to his local countrymen. This is taking place on the Sea of Galilee. So this is in, in the region of Galilee. The region of Galilee is surrounded by mountaintops. Those mountaintops are covered with snow in the winter, and then they melt really, really fast in the spring because it gets so hot there. Those, the, 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 the melting snow mixed with the organic rivers of the valley turns into rushing rivers that create washes in the land. So those washes will bring those sand. You ever see when rivers come through and rivers dried up, it's that smooth sand. This is what it does all along the hillside of Galilee. And here's what he's saying. He said, imagine a foolish traveling person that comes to our region in the middle of summer. It's like, man, this is beautiful. I want lakeside property. So I'm going to go and build my house on this really flat, smooth sand. Man, this is convenient. It's already been excavated for me. It's already been prepared for me. I'm going to build a beautiful house right here. And everybody's laughing. They're like, ha, 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 ha. That, 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 that person who's, who's a, a, a traveler doesn't understand. We all get it because none of us would build our house there because we know that the snow is going to melt, the rivers are going to come, and it's going to wash the houses away. Jesus is saying none of you would do something so foolish because you're aware, why would you spend all that money on building a house where it's going to be washed out? Or in our vernacular, why would you build your house in a flood zone? I'm from Washington, 
And uh, every time I go to Dallas, I, I, I've noticed that there's a lot of green grass and nothing built around the Trinity River that runs through Dallas. And I've said to myself numerous times, I was like, that's awesome real estate. Why hasn't anyone built on the river? There could be high rises and cool restaurants. And I've thought numerous times, man, what a waste. No one's built here until last fall <laughs> when all of North Texas flooded and all of Dallas was a giant pond. And then it dawned on me, this is why people don't build here, because it's a flood zone. So no businessman is going to invest millions of dollars in developing a flood zone. Jesus was saying no smart person would invest in a sand. You wouldn't build your life on this. So he's, he's taking this analogy and presenting it to local people, and he's saying this. He said, it's like a house. Now, Jesus is using this imagery, but he's not talking about actual buildings. He's talking about us. Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, you are God's temple or house, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. He wasn't talking about natural homes. He was talking about spiritual homes. And Jesus was saying there's two kinds of people. Those that build their lives on rock, they are wise. And those that build on sand, they are foolish. Let's exegete this. So what are wise people? Wisdom is this, if you're taking notes. It's the application of God's word in all situations. Let me give you a simplified version. Knowing what God wants. The wise know what God wants. Wisdom is access to the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's knowing the right thing to say or do at the right time. Ephesians 1.8 says that he lavished us with all wisdom and understanding. He has made us known the mysteries of his will. Those that operate in wisdom know God's heart's desire. Wisdom is the divine strategy for our lives, our marriages, our businesses, and our spirituality. So many times we, uh, in our flesh, misappropriate wisdom on the wrong thing. Where you could see someone who's really wealthy or successful in business, and you're like, oh, they must be wise. Or they could be a good steward in that area, but be horrible stewards with their families. Maybe they're very, very wealthy, but guess what? Multimillionaires are going to hell. What, what saves you is grace and faith in Jesus, not your money. But what we could do is we could say, hey, because someone appears to be successful, maybe they're wise. And maybe they're just a rich, foolish person, not a wealthy, wise person. Scripture shows us what wisdom is. It says that wisdom is supreme. But here is the number one characteristic of wise people. You ready for this? Matthew 7, 24 gives it to us. The one who hears the words of mine and does them. The greatest characteristic of the wise, listen, are those that hear God and obey him. It's that simple. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Romans 2.13, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. 1 John 3.7 says those that practice righteousness are those that are righteous. And here's what he says. He says, wise people Build their house on the rock. Again, he's not talking about physical building. He's talking about spiritual lives. What is the rock? If you're taking notes, the rock is true discipleship or genuine submission to Jesus as Lord. Notice I did not say professed Christianity. True discipleship and submission to Jesus as Lord. Jesus 
is the rock. First Corinthians 10, four says this, all drank the spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Ephesians 2.20 says he is the cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.4 says he is the living stone. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus changed one of his disciples' name from Simon to Peter or Petros, which means boulder or stone, when he identified who he was as the son of Christ. What he was doing is he was saying this, Peter, you've identified what it means to build your life on a rock or firm foundation. Now I'm changing your name and your ministry will be to show others how to build their lives on the same foundation. The rock is Jesus. So we have the rock are the wise people, those that know the will of the father, that do the will of the father. They know what God wants and they build their lives around the lordship of Jesus. The other category is foolish people. Foolish people live their lives by the power of the flesh. Everyone has bad days, but foolish people have bad lives. Foolish people are unteachable. They don't listen to anyone or anything. I like this. Foolish people cannot be corrected. I got a scripture for you. Proverbs 12:1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Don't look at me. I didn't call you it. Turn, turn your neighbor and say, if the shoe fits. <laughs> Scripture saying it. So watch this. Is there anyone in your life that has permission to correct you? And I don't care how old you are. Is there anyone in your life, if you don't have anyone in your life that you have given permission to, to correct you, I can assure you, you're in the foolish category. But what most Christians do is, I, I don't, don't tell me what to do. I don't, don't, don't. Actually, that, that is actually the pastor's job to preach the word, to bring correction. I love when people on social media are like, who are you to say? I'm a pastor, this is my job. <laughs> don't judge me. All what you mean is you don't want correction. So you get offended, you'll go find another YouTube channel to watch, another tent to join. I, I, I love it when you have a, a church in a COVID tent because you draw all the wandering prophets of the city. They see a tent, they're like, revival, it's me, my assignment. They'll all know. And then they want to stand up and prophesy, pastor, I got a word for you. Like, hey, uh, where do you go to church? I don't go to church, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prophet. Oh, who's your apostle? I don't have one. Oh, you mean you're a rebellious prophet. And your ministry is to go to church to church, harassing, trying to find some sucker that needs enough help. There's no order that will bring you in and give you a microphone. Don't let the tent fool you. This is just temporary, y'all. I just haven't found a church that, that receives me. It's been 20 years. It's not the churches of Waco. What you mean is you have authority problem. You're not under any authority because you live in the foolish category and you don't stay long enough for somebody to tell you. You ever met the prayer warrior with bad breath? There's like, <sighs> and like, ma'am, we're all fasting for the love. We're aware how bad this is all the time. 
for real. But how foolish would I be if I didn't let the guy in charge of sound correct me on how to hold the mic and where to stand? But we do this. And then the, 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 phrase, the verse we love to quote is, don't judge me. Well, keep reading it, please. It's talking about not judging those outside the church. It's talking about judging those inside the church. Watch. And we're allowing the judgment of God of his word to judge our lives before we stand up front of a judgment seat and have our lives be judged. Listen, correction's not a scary thing for submitted people. It's not a scary thing for healthy people. No, but I do get it. I do get it. Some people are like, uh-oh, uh-oh. He's using trigger words. Submission and authority and correction and judgment. I get it too. I've been in nasty, gnarly, ugly, spiritually abusive environments. I get all that. I've been there. And guess what? It's not this place. It's not this place. And guess what? We're not going to allow rogue, mean pastors and church leaders that build churches and ministries around them and their narcissistic egos redefine what God's word says. Submission is God's idea. Correction is God's idea. So listen, so we have to push back and say, no, 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 I understand that I've been through some bad experiences. Okay, and if you got church hurt, get in line, join the club. Okay, but we take it into our daily encounter. We forgive when they don't deserve it. God does cool stuff, and then we grow through it. Literally, that's the process. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to live in the foolish category because I've been abused or mistreated by bad leaders. Hmm. Foolish people love to find people that will validate their foolishness. When a wise person sees something in the word of God that they disagree with, they assume they're wrong. When the foolish person sees something word of God they disagree with, they deconstruct. Oh, God didn't mean this. So that was a long time ago. Oh, he was only speaking to Jews with, who are right-handed on Sabbaths. No one else in that scripture. It's just for those people. All, teach, all scripture is for the edification. My uh, daughter had, was playing a basketball game a couple of weeks ago, and we were watching it as a family, and I, I told my son, go get your homework. So he runs into his class and uh, goes to find out his homework, and his teacher said to him, you'll need a dictionary to do it. And... Uh, my son interpreted that as you don't have to do your homework because she didn't have a dictionary. And his, his second grade buddy said to him, yeah, we don't, have to do a we don't have to do homework. We don't have a dictionary. And so the two of them came back to me and gave me the report. They don't have to do their homework. When the truth was, they just needed a dictionary in order to do their homework. And some of you think that's funny when you hear a second grader's logic, but a lot of time that's the churchgoer's logic too. When you say stuff like, oh, I can't afford to tithe. Like, well, good thing it's a percentage. What you mean is you gave to God first, you gave to other things first, and T-Mobile and Verizon and Honda is more important than honoring God first. I've literally heard pastors get up from the pulpit and say, well, if you can't tithe, then just do your best. I'm like, okay, so like partially being obedience? That's like saying to a married couple, well, if you can't be faithful, just try and if, if your eyes wander, you know, it's better than your body wandering. So just do what you can. Like, who, who would say that? So what that pastor meant was, I'd rather have your money than you obeying God. So just give whatever you can to help the church out. 
You know how many people's greed that partnered with? Yeah. I promise you, if you don't want to tithe, just go to YouTube, say, don't have to tithe, and you'll find some false teacher that will tickle your ear. There will always be individuals that will do that, but you won't spiritually grow. Listen, foolish people are always looking for something foolish that will partner with their disobedience. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Let me give you the greatest characteristic of a foolish person. It is the reverse of the greatest characteristic of a wise person. The greatest characteristic of a foolish person, according to Matthew 7, is they hear God, but do not obey God. So here's what that means. You could be a member of Mercy Culture Church and sit here every Sunday and still be in that foolish category. What makes you begin that journey in beautiful divine wisdom is someone that hears God and obeys. So foolish people build their lives on the sand. I don't have time to get into all the analogies of sand. It should be in, in, in your notes if you texted notes. But, but here's, here's what the Lord showed me about sand. Sand are broken pieces of rock. Sand is the never moving foundation of the fragments of truth. So if Jesus is the rock, the sand are the pieces the scriptures, oh, I'll follow this one. Oh, this one's for me, but I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to be moral. I'm not going to uh, not hate anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to pick and choose what scriptures I'm going to follow. I'm actually just going to break the second commandment and make for myself my own religion. I call it Christianity. We use the cross as our symbol, but it's really not a life on Jesus and his word. It's fragment pieces that I hear from social media celebrity pastors. This is what the sand does. And here's the thing. It's small parts of a relationship with God, but nothing of substance. And those that build their life on the sand can guarantee devastation. Here's what scripture says. The wind, the rains, and the floods came. What is wind, rain, and floods? Those are storms or what I call the trials of life. The wind the wind, the rain, and the storms, the floods came. But Matthew 5.45 says he sends these storms on the just and the unjust. So, but here's the thing is many Christians live in those spiritual flood zones. And so you can't figure out why are these things happen. And then we have a bad theology that we've believed by bad teachers that when you get saved, it means your life's awesome and nothing bad will happen. And then it causes so many people to defect from the faith. Just the this, this simple question of why do bad things happen to good people? But it doesn't just prove there's a God. It proves that there's evil. But they can't get over it. But, but, but what's, what's wild to me is what part of Jesus' life when he said, follow me, was perfect? When you look at his life. But he said, no, 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 when they slapped me, you turned the other cheek. When they beat me, I, 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 I forgave them. Hanging on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Listen, storms come to everyone. But those that build their lives on the rock, they're not wiped out. Their hope isn't something greater than their retirement. 
It's greater than the economy. Watch, those that live their life on the sand are always fearful of what the economy will do. Oh, and what if we go to war? And what if this happens? What if this person gets elected? What if this? And what if this? What's going to happen? Oh, man. To live your life on the sand is exhausting. You don't know when it's going to flood. Don't know when your life's going to be destroyed. Don't know when you're going to lose everything. But those that live their lives, oh, I felt the Holy Spirit even correct me on this this morning. I know this, this, this church is new. You're nine months old. But Mercy Culture Fort Worth has been, been living in a bubble for three years. What do you mean by a bubble? Is the world shut down and we didn't. And, and not every church in America, but a lot of them all shut down unnecessarily for a long period of time. Remember they're, they're distancing and the, and the masks and all that stuff and don't shake your neighbor's hand, just wave to your neighbor. Remember all that nonsense? Remember all that stuff? And, and, and so we went and laid before the Lord and we're like, Lord, what are we supposed to do? He said, have church for me. So we stayed open. And then we started feeding people why we stayed open. So when everyone's hiding, saying love your neighbor, we're actually out loving our neighbor. I had literally people email me, say, Pastor, I'm begging you to close your church. You're, you're going to kill people. I'm like, glad you're not an elder. <laughs> Is that wise or foolish? Come on, come on. No, no, we need spiritual eyes and ears because some of you are angry right now. And you're angry because you're in the wrong category. Because your source of truth comes from a news network. Your source of news comes from corrupt politicians. So, so let me get this straight. You believe the doctors that tell you men can give birth? Oh, you did. My bad. You did. You did. And that's why you're not growing. And that's why you don't hear from God. And that's why you spiritually struggle. I feel right now so much resistance in this tent. And guess what? I could care less. Do you know why? Because we're not building a church over popularity or what you will think or if you like us or not. Because we're going to help people get out of fear, not be afraid of pandemics, not be afraid of what happens in the economy, not be ruled by social issues. This is a spiritual warfare moment. I literally feel a pushback in the spirit. And guess what? Mercy Culture Waco won't stop pushing back. If you thought we were loud now, we're just in a tent right now. I'm telling you right now, we are not backing down. We're not giving in. We're not letting up. Listen, we are going to stand for spiritual truth. We're going to fight for what is right. This church will not be afraid. Someone shout fear go. You think that worship set was to impress you? Or how come they're just singing and the words weren't up fast enough? And how I, I, just, I, I can't even sing along to this. You're not supposed to sing along to it. You're supposed to worship to it. Well, how come the girl didn't even look at me? Because she's not worshiping you. No, listen, listen. The church has been stuck in fear. That's not spiritual leadership. It's demonic following. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Yeah. Scripture calls it a spirit. Yeah. Watch. And when you build your life on the rock, yeah. it doesn't matter what storms come. Yeah. 
It means this, that we don't have the same outcome when we go through a storm. Ah. We just had one of our pastors in our whole community, many of you too, believe God for a child not to die. And the child died 10 days in. Infant baby. As this baby is breathing her last breath, the pastor on our staff in Fort Worth starts praying for other babies and families in our church that are currently pregnant and fighting for their child. Who does that? People that build their lives on the rock. Does it hurt? Yes. Are you disappointed? Yes. But did the storm take you out and take your faith? No. Because it wasn't built on my prayer request being answered. It was built on God came down, put on humanity, was clothed in humility, died on the cross for me that I could be reconciled with the Father. That is what it's built on. It changes everything. Those that build their house on the sand will lose everything. You will lose everything. What I mean by losing everything, they go to hell. They lose eternity. Go to be with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is the scripture that we opened up with. I've got five minutes left, so I've got to make this effective. David is at one of the lowest moments of his life. I'm going to do my best to put in perspective. We think of David as the giant killer, the greatest warrior, prophet king. Yes, he was that. But he was also a man. This is the man that took out a giant. The king got jealous of him, started throwing spears at him. And then the king, Saul, went after him for 20 years as he lived in caves. It was an anointed king, but running for his life. At the same time, he's fighting Israel's enemies while fighting Israel's king. He survives 20 years of this. At the end of the 20 years, he's in this city called Ziglag. He's going out to fight. As he fights, this group called the Amalekites come in, and they steal his wife, his children, and they burn the city to the ground. Now, this is important because... When we read scripture, we need to understand what's happening. Who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites were the enemies of compromise. I'll tell you what I mean by that. The Amalekites were the first and greatest force to keep Israel out of the promised land before uh, Moses took the people of God in the promised land. The Amalekites are always the enemies that are standing in between you and the God's promises on your life. Then the Amalekites were the individuals that God spoke to King Saul to wipe out. But King Saul was more afraid of people than he was God. So he disobeyed God and spared the Amalekites. So now watch, the enemies that Saul compromised with are now the ones that came back and almost took out, almost took out David. Because the enemies that you compromise with are the ones that take out your children and your children's children. Watch the Amalekites. You know who else was Amalekite? Naaman, who almost took out all of Israel that Esther had to stop, was an Amalekite. You know who took out Daniel, the greatest prayer warrior for Israel? It was an Amalekite. These are the constant enemies of compromise that come back 
and come and get your family. See, this is why you can't compromise with your pornography. This is why you can't compromise with that sexual temptation. This is why you can't compromise with your finances because it'll be that same thing that will come to try to take you out. So the enemy comes back. Now watch this. The Bible says, put the scripture up, that they cried so hard they had no more tears left. What does it mean when you have no more tears left? It means that you are at the place that you want to give up. And this is what most people do when they get on hard times. Now, I can't stress the hard times enough. Come on, you might have had a challenging few years. David had a challenging 20 years. I want to remind you that he was the anointed king, stood in front of the prophet, killed the Goliath. He was famous. They said Saul slayed thousands, David tens of thousands, but then he had to run for his life, been running for his life for almost 20 years, barely making it in a cave, now comes home, and Saul's enemy takes his family. Watch, not only is his family gone, his city burned, but now it said everybody talked about stoning him. Now, if it says everybody talked about stoning him, it must mean it includes the mighty men, because it didn't say the mighty men stood up and defended him. So watch, now his closest adversaries are beginning to turn on him. What does the scripture say? It says this, because they were so bitter. This is wild. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, put it up on the screen. David was in great distress because the people spoke about stoning him. Look at this. All the people were bitter in soul. What does it mean to be bitter in soul? It means you've created a demonic partnership. The prophet Amos describes perverted justice and unrighteousness as this thing called wormwood. You find this in Amos 5, 7, and 6, 12. Wormwood is often linked with this Hebrew word which translated to gall. Now, this is important. This word wormwood, wormwood was an actual thing. It was a bitter root that people would eat or, or taste or drink to get infection out of them. But here's the problem. If you had too much wormwood, it turned into a poison. It became a poison to kill people. This same wormwood is, is linked to the book of Revelation where it talks about a false teaching will come or a wormwood will come and wipe out of one third of the church because the church will drink of the cup of bitterness. Watch that same word wormwood in the Greek is connected to a word named gall. You'll remember gall because gall was what they put in Jesus' drink when they put him on the cross. But watch the moment Jesus tasted the bitterness of gall, what did he do? He spit it out. So Jesus said this, I will be crucified, but I will not drink of your cup of bitterness. And he spit it out. What happened? Watch, watch with the mighty men. The moment they drank of the cup of bitterness, what did they do? They turned on their pastor. The moment they drank of the cup of bitterness, they turned on their spiritual leader. Ah. This is why this could be the greatest church tent you've ever been to in your entire life. But you talk to one false prophet, Jezebel, that got kicked out of here. And all of a sudden, you start partnering with their offense. That offense watch turns to a bitterness. You drink of the wormwood. And now all of a sudden, you turn from this spiritual leadership that you've been looking for because you partnered with an offense. Watch. This is what David's in. He's been faithful to God, loses everything, and his closest allies turn on him. Can I have my piano guy? I don't know your name yet. Ryan. What do you do when you have no more tears? What do you do when you want to quit? What do you do when you feel like spiritually giving up? What do you do when your closest friends turn on you? How do you respond? You strengthen and fortify. 
What did David do? It says this. Verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Waco, he had a daily encounter. That's all he did. Was go into the presence of God. Huh. And say, God, I'm hurting. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm exhausted. I've tried to serve you. I've tried to do my best. I don't have answers. I don't know what to do. But I love you. He began to strengthen himself in the Lord. This is what we're going to do. Not every Sunday, every day. This is what we're doing. In 2023, uh, last night, I'm in front of my fire. And I said, Lord, I'm having a hard time believing you in this area. I was vulnerable. I know I do, but I'm having a hard time with this stinking heart of mine. I didn't ask him to fix it. I didn't ask him to explain it. I didn't ask him to fix me. You know what I did? Just love on him. This is what we do. Pastor, what do you do with this? What do you do with that? I've had people ask me, what do you do when a 10-month-old baby or 10-day-old baby dies that you're believing for miracles? What do you do? You got the answer to that? What do you say? There's no right words. We just loved on the Lord together. We loved on each other together. We said in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our pain, when we don't understand, when we've run out of tears, when we've run out of strength, is all we're saying is you're God. And even if you don't, we know you're able. Ah, the days of God proving anything to me are over. If he doesn't do one more thing, I hear this all the time. Pastor, I'm not feeling God. You got the goal wrong. It's not for you to feel him. It's for him to feel you. David strengthened himself in the Lord. You know what happened? If you look down to verse 18 and 19, put it up on the screen, it says this. But David recovered all. those that build their lives on the rock there's nothing that can't be recovered you say but what about a child how do you recover that somehow in his mercy and kindness somehow even in his grace this joy comes in the morning. And people that build their lives on the sand only have bitterness that comes in the morning. But people that build their life on the rock, 
have joy. I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to have a moment of encountering God. When I was in my teenage years and early 20s, I was on fire for God. I mean, I had wild faith. I saw behind the curtain of churches. I call it the weight of life. Scripture would call it the the wind, the rain, and the storms. But the trials of life began to beat against me. Betrayals came. Betrayals from pastors, from spiritual fathers, people that said they were spiritual fathers in my life. And I remember it was wave after wave after wave of disappointment, of hypocrisy, abuse, I got to the point where I even said, I don't even know if I believe the things. I know I believe them, but I don't even know how I could be reconnected to that kind of faith. Church, I felt like over this 10 years of disappointment, of dysfunction, of betrayal and abuse, I felt like that I lost a part of me. And when I told people, I said, I feel like I've lost part of my faith. I know Jesus is God. I know I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not, I'm not just deconstructing, but I feel like I lost the zeal, my passion. I feel like I lost part of my faith. And I did this silly thing that didn't seem like a big deal at the time. But every day, I just kept going into his presence. And I would have him try to feel me. And I did it wrong, and there's no right way to do it. Emmanuel, I fell asleep majority of the time. I'd go and I'd do it at night till I learned how to do it in the morning. And I'd go and I'd try to talk with God and I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up and nothing would happen and I wouldn't feel him. And, 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 and I'd still wonder, but I'd keep doing it and day after day after day after day after day after day. And I would keep praying the same prayers and I'd keep doing the same things. And all of a sudden, I'd feel pieces of that faith coming back to me. I'd feel all of a sudden believing God of things coming back to me. Then he tells me to plant a church. And I said, I'm not going to plant a church. I don't want anything to do with dumb churches. Churches are corrupt. Churches are dysfunctional. Churches are built around narcissists. I don't want anything to do with that. Lord, I got your presence. I just want your presence. And then he said to me, I know, I just want you to build it around my presence. I'm like, I would like that. And then we started fasting. And we started believing. And the miracles started taking place. And then all of a sudden, I can't believe what's happened. If you've ever been to Fort Worth and seen it, well, just wait, because it's going to happen here. But all of a sudden, I can't believe it. It's so much favor. I can't believe how good it is. In, in, in 10 lifetimes, you couldn't make all this happen. Did you see the 5,900 people walking in the street of Dallas declaring life over the city of Dallas? Watch this stuff happening. We're feeding 15, 20,000 families every single week out of that alone. Wait till we start doing it every week here. I'm telling you, listen, I cannot believe what God has done. But watch, more than the miracle buildings, more than the churches, more than the ministries, more than all that. I got my faith back. Everything that I thought I lost, I got back. Watch, by just strengthening and fortifying myself in his presence. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place? I heard the Lord, you're going to get your faith back. I heard the Lord, you're going to get your faith back. Oh, you're going to have the faith of your youth mixed with the wisdom 
I said, you're going to get your faith back. You're going to get your faith back. Uh, we're sitting, uh, we're, we're sitting in this in heightened spiritual atmosphere. I got to be careful because part of me wants to be here more than I'm in Fort Worth. I keep wandering back into to, to prayer assemblies. I keep coming randomly. I, I, I pull in the parking lot when I'm, when I'm driving in Austin or on trips. I, I find myself desiring to be here, desiring to be on this property, de de desiring to be in this, in this city. Even at the nine o'clock service, I, I found myself on the knees, my knees and I forgot I was going to preach today. I just found myself in the presence of my King and the presence of the Lord, just loving on Him, talking to Him, just strengthening and fortifying myself in him. Why? Because I need it. I came wandering into Psalm Assembly. I sat in the back and I heard God speak to me. Waves of the presence of God were coming over me as the worship team was leading. And I heard the Lord say, the obedience of this house in Waco has blessed me. And I heard the Lord say, and I'm going to bless this house. Well, that's a word over this community. The obedience has blessed the Lord. And now he is going to bless this house. Oh. I'll be in my office in Fort Worth. And I'll start thinking about Waco. And I'll start getting excited about everything that God's doing in mercy culture because there's favor right now coming to Waco. I feel this momentum on this campus. I feel this momentum on this community. I feel assignments. Look at it, it's not to be big, to be big. Who cares about that? It's to be mighty. It's to be powerful. It's to be strong. I feel it right now. He's preparing you for the needs of the city. Oh, he's getting you out of you. Moses had no ambition when he went and met with Pharaohs. He just came with fear and trembling. He just had the fear of the Lord. That's why there's so much anointing when we sing the fear of the Lord. That's why there's so much anointing when we pray it. That's why there's so much anointing when we sing it. That's where you could literally physically feel it in the atmosphere. Because as you physically sing it, it is, you're being strengthened and fortified in your spirit. I heard the Lord saying over this campus... I need you stronger for the assignments of tomorrow. I heard the Lord say, I'm weaning you like a mother. Whew. I, I, I keep coming back to Moses. Moses' life is what we built mercy culture on, Exodus 33, 13, when he said, I'm not going without your presence. But I'm reminded before he met with Pharaoh, his mother sent him away. That's what you did with legacy. And then the Lord brought Moses back to the mother and she was weaned. I feel like this campus, this community, Pastor Les and Nikki, you're in the season of being weaned. Weaned is not a weakness. Weaned is a strength word. It was the season where it was, it, a child would get strong by his mother. I saw the Lord feeding you his milk, his bread, his word. 
even in this season of getting in the building, I feel this so strong. These are precious days. It's almost like you look at your child and they grew up overnight and you said, man, I, I, I remember the days when, I, when they were that little, I could just do that again. Right now, even in this season, there's times to make relationships. There's times to build strong relationships, to fortify relationships. There's kingdom relationships, even in the young people in this room, kingdom relationships. I feel it right now. There's, there's, there's a wave of promotion. I hear it over this house. It, it's starting at the headship with Pastor Les and Nicky and it's going down. I feel this season of promotion. It's on you right now, Lord. I feel it right now where the Lord is going to begin to amplify your voice. Don't change what you're doing or saying. Just continue to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. But I see he's amplifying your voice. I see authority coming on the voices of this house. I see this right now. Whoa, I feel it right now in my spirit that this cave drew in some of the cave of Adullam. Uh, some of the, those that came to the cave of Adullam were broken. They were rejected. They were disenfranchised. They were, they were disheartened individuals. But I of that cave came the most mighty of men. I see that right now in this place. I even feel like Pastor Les, uh, when we planted you and Nikki, when we when we ordained you, we said, Waco doesn't need any more pastors and churches that need spiritual fathers and mothers. I even feel this spiritual fathering and mothering season beginning to take place now. I felt it in the nine o'clock service and all day there's spiritual sons and daughters in this house. There's spiritual sons and daughters in this house that are going to be raised up. I feel it right now. There's Joshua's in this house. They're going to take land and expand territory. Do you know what the, the anointing of Joshua was? Do you know what the, 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 the calling of Joshua was? He was one that was strong. He never faltered. He never failed. He never backslid. And at the end of his life, God said to him, name your city. The Lord's raising up strong sons and daughters in this house. I lift up right now in the spirit generosity over this region. And I pray right now the suffocating, the suffocating demonic entanglement of the spirit of mammon. We say let generosity overrule you. I pray let generosity, the spirit of generosity, unseat you. I declare that this will be a house of generosity. I pray right now, Lord, I pray that this would be such a generous, such a fruitful house. Lord, I pray that this campus alone will birth other campuses. Lord, I pray right now, I feel strong. I, I even feel like this campus will do things with missions and affect missions all over the world. I pray right now from this house, Lord Jesus, not only will we feed locally tens of thousands of people, but I pray that we would feed internationally tens of thousands of people. I pray let it be millions of people from this house. I pray the fear of man break off your people. I pray the fear of the Lord would rest on us. Jesus, teach us how to fear you. Teach us that face-to-face -face intimacy. Just start playing that piano louder over God's people. Can you turn that up? Just let him begin to strengthen you. 
Just let him begin to fortify you. Close your eyes tight. Just posture your hearts to receive all over this place.
Lord, I pray right now, help us to forgive anyone that's sinned against us, anyone that's wronged us, anyone that's betrayed us, Lord. In the hardest things, I pray right now in an anointing to forgive right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome. We say right now, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. I pray let the spirit of deliverance come right now. Lord, I pray right now that you would deliver us from anything that would have we've been partnership. Anything, Lord, that we've submitted to that's not you, we break all partnerships with any spirit and we say only you, only you, only you. Come on, just for another moment, just tell them how much you love them all over this place. We love you. I tell my son all the time, the greatest warriors, the most manly men, are the most passionate about God. Men of this house, let me hear your voices. Let him hear your voices. We love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Come on, let the men of the house lead right now in your praise. Let the men of the house lead with your devotion. Let the men of the house lead with your passion, with your adoration. We say we're not embarrassed of you. We're not embarrassed of you. We say we're not embarrassed of you. We're not embarrassed of you. Lord, we say we love you. We say we're passionate about you. We say more than anything, Lord, we desire to please you. We want to know your heart. We want to know your mind. We want to bring pleasure to your heart, Lord. As sons, we say we desire to please you, our Father. school students this week asked me in our class what's your favorite thing to talk to the Lord about <laughs> and I told him I don't have a favorite thing to talk to the Lord about my favorite thing is just to tell him I love him Amen. and it's the same way that you never get tired of your children even your grown children telling you they love you. I know he loves to hear it. One last time, would you just tell him that you love him? We love you, Abba. We love you, Yahweh. We love you, Father. Oh, Lord, you have a people in Waco. closes the service I just want to pray that prayer of dunamis over you 
So, Lord, I pray over your people, your dunamis power, your strengthening and fortifying. I declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and abide. Remain in us and teach us how to remain in you. Lord, I pray for the greatest year of daily encounters they've ever known. Ah, And I pray for the most significant spiritual growth this year. On the youngest to even granny. Lord, I pray this year that we would spiritually grow in your presence. So we can't wait for tomorrow. And we declare, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Every word 
that you spoke over this house today. Come on, just posture your hearts to receive. Just hold your hands out in front of you. We receive every word that you spoke over this house today. And God, we will steward it well. We will be good soil. We will steward it well. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. These are one of those moments, as a pastor, you don't know what to do. Because the Lord is here. So we're going to dismiss, and you can stay in worship as long as you want. But before we dismiss, honor is a value in this house. I don't just want us to put our hands together for Pastor Landon. I want us to recognize the value of the apostolic covering that he is for this house. I want us to recognize how significant when that apostolic anointing delivers a word and brings order and fathers and delivers the word of the Lord. It's not just another message. It's a moment that if you will let it, will change your life and the life of this church forever. So first, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the apostolic. Lord, we thank you for the covering. And Father, we thank you for Pastor Landon. We pray that you would bless him. Come on, open your mouths and speak a blessing. We pray that you would bless him and Pastor Heather and their children. Bless them in their coming. Bless them in their going. Give them every place that their feet would touch. Even the things that they haven't desired, that they dare not speak, give it to them. Open every door that has been closed. Make the crooked way straight. We thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's put our hands together and honor Pastor Landon today. Come on and let's thank Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for speaking, Lord. Thank you that we don't have to leave your presence in this tent, but we'll encounter you today and we'll encounter you tonight and we'll encounter you in the morning and we'll encounter you driving down the road and we'll encounter you parenting our children. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.